1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, imagine a meeting in a church, and there are some people who you once knew who've come to address the church family. But the thrust of their message is to tell you that you're a group of backward traditionalists 
who are on the wrong side of history? How might we feel as we hear it? It'd be unsettling, wouldn't it? I was listening to a talk over the summer which um, described something happening along those lines in a church in Scotland who would not go along with those who were rejecting the Bible's clear teaching on marriage and relationships. Or perhaps you've experienced a friend who used to be uh, in your Bible study group and now they think what you believe is crazy. They've progressed and they can't understand why you still go to your church and believe what you believe. And it feels unsettling. And the church John wrote this letter to is a church that have experienced something like that. They've seen people leave them who've left the gospel message that John had himself taught them and that they're claiming they're right, they're enlightened, they've moved on. And so it was unsettling to be left behind. And the questions came, well, are they right? Have we got it wrong? Should we go with them? What do we do? And John is writing to reassure this church. And in our verses this morning, well, he tells them what to do now. Love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. The letter is to assure this wobbling church that they really are the real thing. I've tried to capture a bit of the flow of how he does this in the box on your handout. So inside your um, service sheets, you'll find on one of the pages a handout with a box. That's what I'm referring to. And... The flow, I think, goes something like this. Chapters 1 and 2, John gives diagnostics that are sure. So he sets out a gospel criteria to test the departed by. They claim to be enlightened, but here are tests which will expose them as frauds and reassure you. That's chapter 1 and 2. Then he moves on to the middle bit, chapters 2 and 3, where he gives a diagnosis of the departed. Actually, he unmasks them, and they are none other than the world. The family opposed to God, not God's children, your God's children. And then in chapter 4, we find action that assures. What do God's people do when unsettling times come, when we're wondering whether we're right or we're wondering whether we've in fact found ourselves on the wrong side of history? John's instruction is love one another. I used to work in and around the city, but I've never been in the financial side of things. And I'm amazed I've been here quite a long time and I still don't understand most of the financial stuff. But I guess when there's a good, solid investment opportunity, the investors among us will invest more in it. You probably don't go all in. But John says, well, we're faced with the departed. Well, ignore the old saying and put more eggs into one basket, the same basket. Love one another. And do it some more. Because as we do that, we will see that God really is with us. And we'll have even more confidence that we're the true family of God. That's the big idea here. In a sense, it's kind of keep calm and carry on. But really, it's don't move an inch from Jesus and keep on loving one another. Because love for one another confirms that you're in the right family. That's where we left off last week, and we see it in 4 verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. As we love one another, we will see God at work among us. Christians who love one another, well, it's evidence that God abides in us, that his love has reached its goal in us. 
It shows us we're in his family. And so John's going to unpack this verse in our verses today. He's unpacking verse 12. And in verse 13 to 16, well, he unpacks, if we love one another, God abides in us. And then from verse 17 through to 5, verse 5, he unpacks, his love is perfected in us. So those are our two points. And first, love for one another confirms we're in the right family. It's confirmed by spirit-enabled belief in God's love. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The logic here is that our belief in God's love is a work of his spirit. That we believe in his love is because he's given us that belief of his spirit. He's brought us into his family. And the language of abiding, well, that's the language of remaining or dwelling. It's the language of relationship. It's about being brought into a family. And that is the great goal of the gospel. Just have a flick back um, one page to chapter 1 of 1 John um, and verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The we that he's speaking of here is John and the other apostles. The apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And John says, we heard, we saw with our eyes, we looked, we touched. And did you see why they proclaimed the message about Jesus? So that you two may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. They proclaim it so that all who hear and receive it would enter into fellowship. A relationship with God the Father and God the Son through his Spirit. Think of the prodigal son. You might remember that parable Jesus told who was welcomed in with opened arms by his father. His father ran to meet him and laid the table and made a feast. He was brought into the family, a beloved child. And that is the goal of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, God gathering his family. And it's a family of light and love. Just look down to 1 verse 5. This is the message We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and there's no darkness in him. Those who walk in the light are those who acknowledge their sin and confess it in dependence on Jesus' death on the cross. And they are cleansed and forgiven and brought out of darkness into fellowship with God who is light. It's a family of light. And then back in chapter 4 now where we're going to stay and turn back to page 1230. And verse 16. And here John says, We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in him abides in love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So God's family is a family of light and a family of love. And it's entered by belief in God's love. So what is this love then that God has for us? What does it mean to know it? What does it mean to believe it? There's a lot of talk of love in our world, but we only need to consider just the last few days and we see so little true experience of it. 
Well, in God's family, we do experience love. We experience his perfect love. And John has told us that this love is defined at the cross. He showed us this in chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's at the cross that we encounter the undeserved kindness of God as he sent his son into the world to be a propitiation for our sin. That is, Jesus died willingly in our place to bear the judgment we deserve. He bore on the cross the fullness of God's just indignation at our sin, our rebellion against him and everything that flows from it. And he declared us right and forgiven in his family. That is God's love. To see it, you look at the cross, it is sacrificial. It is self-giving. It is pure and just. It is held out to an undeserving world. It is concrete and real. He has demonstrated it. And we know this love. Well, we know this love through belief in the apostles' words. Chapter 4, verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Any claim to know God's love that's detached, if you like, from the apostles' words, that's detached from the cross, well, it's not the love God has for us. To know and believe the love God has for you is to look at the cross. Many are investigating Christian, the Christian message here on Sunday mornings, often among us, or perhaps watching online. To understand the vast depths of God's love for you, you need to look at the apostles' testimony of Jesus, the saviour of the world, crucified at the cross. You could come and join us at one of the midweek Bible studies Henry mentioned. We're looking at John's eyewitness testimony of the gospel he wrote. You could read that gospel, John's gospel, for yourself and see it. You could ask a friend to take you through it. Or starting next Sunday, you could come and join us at an Exploring Christianity course that will be happening on Sunday mornings um, at the same time as this service. Maybe that would be the best thing for you to do, to come and know and believe the the love God has for you. We know it when we receive the apostles' testimony about Jesus, the saviour of the world. We admit our need for a saviour and we confess he is the son of God come to save us. And that is uniquely a work of God's spirit. Belief in God's love at the cross is a gift of God given by his spirit. We know we abide in him and he in in us. We know we're part of the family because we believe in his love because he's given us of his spirit. Confirmed as God's family by spirit-enabled belief in his love. And then, if you like, doubly confirmed as God's love is perfected in us. That's where John goes in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. Well, what does this idea of perfected actually mean? It's the idea of completion. It's a word that means it's reached its goal. It's the same word that is used by Jesus At the moment he died on the cross and accomplished the work God sent him to do, it is finished. And so here John is saying, well, when we love one another, God's love, if you like, reaches its goal. I've been trying to think of ways to illustrate this. Um, Perhaps 
with the FA Cup in mind this weekend, the football illustration, think of the perfect shot, one of those wonder strikes that just flies arrow straight into the top corner. It flies over the line, God's love at the cross made manifest for us, and then it hits the back of the net, a new family being conformed into his likeness. It reaches its goal. Or perhaps think of a great light that's focused on the cross, and then it bursts out as God's love family, as God's family love one another, a family of light and love. It's a people who know God's love for them by the work of his spirit in them and who love one another as that love reaches its goal. Perfection here is not about us being perfect now or loving perfectly all the time, but it is about moment by moment seeing God's love displayed at the cross, then worked out in its gospel goal in a family who love one another. And so it gives us confidence we're in the right family. And if we see God's love reaching its goal among us, well, actually, it casts out fear. That's where verse 17 goes. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. The question I've been wrestling with this week has just been, why does John suddenly start talking about the day of judgment here? There is a day of judgment There's a day coming when Jesus will return and every single person who has ever lived will be called to account and he will judge. But why does John start talking about it here? And I was chatting to someone on Friday, asking this question, wrestling with it, and they very helpfully pointed this out. They said if the departed were claiming that they were the truly enlightened ones and that this church they left behind were deluded, well, that's when the unsettling questions come. And that's when you're thinking, well, Am I in the wrong family? Is this really the real thing? Can I actually be confident of eternal life that I will be saved on the day of judgment? And so again, John here is reassuring. He's saying, keep calm and carry on. Because as you keep loving one another, you'll keep seeing God's love reaching its goal among you. And it's evidence you're the family of light and love. And he says, well, actually, that is just like Jesus that's what I think he means by those words at the end of the verse, as, and that say, as he is, so also are we in the world. Say it again, as he is, so also are we in the world. Well, the he there, I think, is referring to Jesus. And what it's saying is, well, how, what is Jesus like now? Well, he is now risen and living in perfect relationship with his father, a relationship with love. He is abiding in love. And John's saying, well, as he is, so are we in that relationship with the Father too. At the table, if you like, righteous and in perfect relationship with Father and Son, peace, acceptance, and love, right now, even as we live in the world. And that means we have confidence on the day of judgment. We're in the family, rooted in the cross, rooted in his love for us at the cross, reaching its goal in us. And so I think this massively grasps, uh, shapes our grasp of our relationship with God. It means we don't need to be afraid of him. It means we are freed to love him. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected 
in love. The Bible does use the language of fear of God in a good way, in a right way, and that is to recognize who he is and to honor him and to love him. But here, this is speaking about a fear of punishment, a fear that makes us want to withdraw from him, a fear of judgment. Perhaps you're here this morning and wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but what is your view of God? Do you think he's good? Do you want to come to him? Or deep down, are you fearful of him? When faced with your sin, your own failings, do you want to come into the light and confess to him or withdraw and hide away from him? If you don't know the love of God at the cross, well then, it is right to fear his punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But God's love can be known. And you can know it personally and enter his family and experience his love at work in you. And fear is then cast away because God has held out his love to us at the cross. And when we confess our sins in dependence on Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so John says, well, will you come? And it may be that some here, well, we do trust in the Lord Jesus. We are in God's family. But there are times when we have doubts. Can I be sure he loves me? Can I be sure of my salvation? Well, John says, don't panic. Doubts do come sometimes. In fact, John's writing this whole letter to a church who are experiencing doubts. And he's gentle with them. And he has lots of reassurance for them. And here he says, look again at the cross. The objective fact, God loves you. You are in his family, just as Jesus is. Here's what David Jackman says in his commentary on the letter. He says, does the Lord Jesus cringe in terror before the Father? Of course not. Then humbly but sincerely, we may share his boldness. Look again at the cross. But then look around you. Do you see his love reaching its goal in your brothers and sisters, moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute? Not a perfect family, but a family who love one another. God's love at work. God loves you. And it seems to me John's also saying, well, to keep growing in that confidence in God's love, well, take another step in love for a brother or a sister. However small it seems, maybe a prayer. You can only do that if you're in the family of light and love. And as you love one another, you'll see God at work among you. Your assurance will grow. David Jackman again. God loved us enough to send the Lord Jesus to die for our sins so that the punishment has already been met in full. There's nothing left to pay. What we discover is that the more we love him and demonstrate that reality by loving our fellow Christians, however weakly and faintly, the less we are prey to fear. God's love reaching its goal in us casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And as it does that, well, it liberates us to love even more. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. As we grasp God's love for us more and more, and more, what he works in us to bring completion as we love him. I found this personally really encouraging and helpful just to be able to reflect on this, our security 
with him forever. Well, it means we can count the cost of love, doesn't it? It means we could take a risk to do something in love for somebody else, even if we might make a bit of a mistake or it's a bit clumsy, because we know we're utterly loved and accepted by our Heavenly Father. Our eyes are off ourselves. We're free to love. And that love for God, well, it does look like love for one another. That's where we go in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not he who does not love his brother whom he's seen or cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. In our service planning meeting earlier this week, I was trying to explain what I thought about this verse, about verse 20. It seems here that John is referring to those who've departed once again. And in my attempt to communicate this, I said quite straight faced, well, in verse 20, the departed have come back. Cue the laughter while I slowly caught up with what I've been saying. Well, John is referring to them again. And they are saying, I love God, but they hate his people. We saw this back in chapter 2, that diagnostic test for the departed. How do they treat those they once called brothers and sisters? And John says, well, if they hate his people, they cannot love God. Well, perhaps someone would say, well, that's a bit strong. I don't hate Christians. That's quite a strong thing to say. Well, then look at the words, the actions. If the words and actions show they're opposed to his people, well, they don't love God. They're unmasked as the world. They side with the world. And to side with the world is to hate God's people. Think of the religious leaders in John's gospel. They say, I love God. And they do that as they ask Pilate to take down the body of the son, his son whom they crucified, so they don't defile the Sabbath. Or think of the friend who's decided that they want to worship God their own way, and they just don't want to hear of it when you start to speak of Jesus. They say things like, we don't still go to that church, do you? Or think of the progressive movement in the Church of England saying, I love God, but sidelining his word and going out of their way to court the world. If they don't love the people they can see with their eyes, well, how can they love God whom they cannot see? If you love God, you will love his family. And it just makes sense, because you're in the family. You're together in fellowship, in the fellowship of light and love. And so John builds this argument through these verses as we move to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That is, everyone who has spirit-enabled belief that Jesus is the Christ or has been born of God in the family. If we're born of God, we're in the family. And to love him as members of his family, well, that is to love others in his family, to love our brothers and our sisters. But we may be thinking, well, that's great. That is all very well. But what do I, how do I actually know that I love God's children? Well, that's where John goes next in verse 2. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. John gets really concrete here. 
You know you love one another because you listen to God's word. To hear God's word and put it into practice is the heart of expression of love for him. It's how our desire to please him and honor him cashes out. And it's the way, and the way John puts it here, well, it links God's word closely with how we love one another. How do we know what love for one another looks like? Well, God's word shows us. Sometimes specific instructions, sometimes principles for us to work out with his help. God's word unfolds for us sacrificial service, what it looks like in all kinds of ways. Love for God is not just saying the words, I love you. It looks like sacrificial service of others. It's to be for his people, not against them. It's to desire good for his people, even if we're conscious of how we fall short. That is love reaching its goal in us. And as we keep getting to know him more through his word, well, we'll see more and more what love for one another looks like. And then we can help one another work it out in practice. And we can look around to see great examples in one another and learn from them and imitate them as they model God's word for us. God's love reaches its goal in his people as they listen to his word and put it into practice. And that's how we can be sure we are loving one another. John says this is not burdensome. This really is not burdensome because this is what we were made for. It will be costly. It will be sacrificial. Love, by definition, is. Look at the cross. But as one writer puts it, to love God, to love one another, is no more burdensome than wings are to a bird. Because this is victory over the world. Verse 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. One of my cousins was once in a church called Victorious Life Church. I don't know why they chose the name, but it strikes me as a good phrase to describe life in God's family. And the victory is not standing on the top of a podium with a cheering stadium. It's not the promise of ease and prosperity or health and wealth. The victory is a family that love one another in self-sacrificial service. Because our faith in Jesus, the Son of God, has brought us out of the world where sin and selfishness and human pride rule and they stifle love and has brought us into the family of light and love. Remember chapter 2, John says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world does not love God. It's out for itself. And the goal of God's love is to liberate a people from this enslavement to sin in a world that's passing away and to bring us into a family of light and love that goes on forever. And did you notice he's talking in terms of everyone? There is nothing else like this on earth. It is a family that extends across the nations, demonstrating to one another and to the world that we are truly Jesus' disciples. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. Chapter 5, verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
And so we have spirit-enabled belief in God's love, which reaches its goal as we love one another, confirming that we are the family of light and love. And so St. Helens, John says to us, let us love one another. And he says to us, be ready when unsettling times come, if they come, we know what to do. Let's love one another all the more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us, demonstrated supremely at the cross. Thank you for bringing us out of darkness into your family of light and love. Thank you for the great reassurance to know that you are with us as your love reaches its goal, as we love one another. And please help us to do it all the more, and especially when unsettling times come, that we might know we are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.